Nachyomi for the Orthodox Union, Sefer Yoshua, the Book of Joshua, Perak Yud Ches, Chapter 18, Rabbi Bini Marilis. The 18th chapter of the Book of Yoshua is uh, fascinating for what it says, and at the beginning for what it doesn't really say. We're going to see the beginning of the division of the land to the remaining chapters, uh, the remaining, sorry, the remaining tribes in the next two chapters, Yudches and Yudtes. And at the outset of the ver- uh, of the Perek, we hear briefly about Mishkan Shiloh, uh, ever so briefly. I'll share with you for a moment before we begin the reading of the chapter from the Das Sofrim, who we've seen so many times already in the first 17 chapters. The Das Sofrim says as follows. In very few words, very counted words, we hear about the establishment of the Mishkan in the place called Shiloh. Shiloh is a place, it's the city in Ephraim, the center of Ephraim. The Shiloh is where the Mishkan is established. The Dasovim continues and he says, I'm sure that there was a great, great celebration and a great holiday on the day that the Mishkan is established in Shiloh and that everybody had gathered there. Not a word is recorded with respect to that event for all generations. Perhaps it's speculation, but it's in fact what the Datsofim writes. He continues and discusses the fact that Mishkan Shiloh was really essentially established to be a temporary abode, a temporary location, ultimately relinquishing its kalim, its vessels, to the base of Mikdash, which we might have thought in a shorter period of time. Nonetheless, it seems some 380 Nine years, the Dasofim writes and calculates, based on the Seder Olam, 389 years that the Mishkan is in fact in session and in use in Shiloh. With the onset of the establishment of the Mishkan Shiloh, certain things begin to happen. Now the land, the mitzvot, the Tulu's Barats begin. Now there's a prohibition with respect to using other Mizbachot, other altars for sacrifice and offerings. And it would seem as well that the full force of the Jewish people now in the land is at play. And Torah and mitzvos, mitzvos hatuyos barats, land-based mitzvos, with the establishment of the tribes in their locations, that all things happen at this moment. Although, again, it's mentioned very, very quickly and very, very briefly. The outset of the Perak is a very interesting story. We see Yahushua and members of the tribes essentially serving as cartographers, those going around to the different parts of the country and mapping out the way the land looks, mapping out the borders, the cities, finding all the locations, where the, the, the places where the people will settle, and then actually carving up the land almost into the remaining portions for the remaining tribes. Different than what we've seen to this point, in the sense that what we've seen to this point is simply Yoshua establishing X and Y and Z tribe in A, B, and C location. 
and then simply telling us about the cities that are in those locations. And the borders are not calculated and not drawn up in the same manner as they are in this parak at the beginning. And we begin. Pasuk Aleph. Vayikhaluk haladas b'nei Yisrael Shiloh. Vayashkinu sham es ohel mo'ed. Ve'aretz nich b'shel lifnehem. So all the Jewish people gather to Shiloh. They established there, they set up there the Beit Hashem, the house of Hashem, the Ohel Moed. And the land is captured before them. What does that mean? Don't we know that already? Rashi explains. Once the Mishkan is established, the land itself became very easy to capture. Meaning beyond the obvious physical strength of the Jewish people in capturing the land and not the obvious role that HaKadosh Baruch Hu played in their ability to capture the land now a new factor comes into play the spiritual center of the Jewish people is established for now in Shiloh so the spiritual power of the Jewish people is at play as well and now the land essentially has become quiet and easily capturable by them what does it mean that they established the Mishkan in this place Says Rashi in Aleph as follows. Vayeshkinu sham es they plant essentially the Oamoed in this place, Shasuba Midbar, the one that they had made in the desert, the Mishkan. Vlohayasham tikra, ella bayis shal avani milamatan virios milamalan. He says, quoting from the Gemara and Zvachim, what did they establish there? So whereas in the Midbar, it was simply completely a temporary structure, here they built walls. They built stone walls in the surrounding area around where the Mishkan would be. But the roof, the roof of the Mishkan would be the same as it was in the desert. The Urios, the coverings that were in the desert are the same coverings that are going to be in Shiloh. But the walled structure that existed in the desert of the Krashim, of the different planks, that would not be the case here, but rather be a little bit more of an establishment with respect to having a stone structure um, in the in the surrounding areas, the surrounding sides, the walls of the Mishkan. And what remains now in Bez is seven tribes. We have seven tribes left over, to discuss and to talk about. We have already settled the Reuven God and Menashe. The full Menashe has been described. And we've also talked about Ephraim and Yehuda, leaving over seven tribes with respect to their locations where they're going to be. And now Yehoshua, it seems, in a sense, chews out the Jewish people. Why are you so lazy, weak, so lax in capturing the remainder of the land and inheriting and settling the remainder of the land? The Datsofrim adds the emotional voice to the words of to the words of Yoshua and he says Bituiza, the language of Adana, until when? This term Inyanobikomakom Kriya. It's a specific call. Which symbolizes the loss of patience. Ad Anna. Until when? How much longer? 
Yoshua is is talking to the people, he's stressing to the people, he's voicing his opinion to the people with respect to their being unable to complete the task of capturing the land and ultimately settling the land. It seems perhaps that by virtue of certain tribes settling, of the other tribes still remaining perhaps in the areas surrounding Gilgal and now in the area of uh, of Shiloh, the establishment of the Mishkan, that perhaps one can become complacent with respect to one's requirement of settling the remainder of the land. Now, it seems odd, this is an open question, is it not the, the task of Yoshua and, and, and the Kohen Gadol to tell the people where they're supposed to go? It seems at the same time that there's an obligation on the people themselves to go and take the lands and to go and settle the locations. So the remaining, remaining, remaining section of this part of the Perak deals with the charge by Yoshua to send out people, and then the rest of the parak, the rest of the chapter, will be the discussion of the first of the seven tribes to get its portion, which will be the tribe of Binyamin. So what does Yoshua advise them to do? Bring three people from each of the remaining tribes. Sachakol, do the math, three times seven, twenty-one. Let's get a committee of twenty-one people together. Then we will send them and they will go and they will walk the land. And they should go out to the land itself and they should write it down according to what they think are the Nachalos and then bring it to me. Fascinating. It's sort of a new approach. Here he's getting them involved. They're part of the process. They should decide what the borders of these areas should look like. They won't make the ultimate final decision, but they should make some level of a determination with respect to it as a committee from the tribes. Not each tribe on its own, but as a committee of the tribes, it seems. And then we'll decide. Uh, the prayer continues in, 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 in verse 5. Then we will we will then divide it up into seven parts. That which we have, and that's what we're going to have. Yehuda yamod al gvulo minegev, beis Yosef yamdu al gvula mitzafon. That which has already been established in the south and to the north remains, but the rest still has to be decided. In verse number six, in vav, v'atam tichtavu es haaret shiva chalakim, and you shall write out the land into seven parts. V'haveisem elai heina, you should bring it to me here to Shiloh. V'arisi lachem goral po lifnei adonai loheinu, and we will then do a goral again here. Before God. It's a new moment in this process. Before we have the initial tribes on the eastern side of the river, they're already taken care of. Then we have Yehuda and Yosef, B'nai Yosef, they're taken care of in the original fashion. And now, a new manner, with certain rules, of course, that those chapters that have already been established are established and done. And of course, the reminder in Zayin, Ki'in chilek lalavim bekirbechem, the tribe of Levi, again, still, no, no portion in the land. Now, even though you're the ones that are establishing it, you're the ones who are setting it aside, still, nonetheless, in the way this game, quote-unquote, plays out, 
you do, they still don't get a portion. They still will not inherit a portion uh, of the land. The tribe of Levi is the tribe of Levi. There's no way to reapportion it that they would be part of it. And the other tribes, they're on their side of the river. There's no reapportionment. Now suddenly, does Reuven want, or can he want a peace in Eretz Israel? No. They are where they are. And what happens? What happens here? What happens? In the past, we've seen a discussion where perhaps... They would complain, they might be upset, they might voice an opinion to Yahushua. But here the command comes from Yahushua to do it this way, and in Pasuk Ches, in verse 8, And they go. They go. And now he does the direct command to those individuals. The initial command is to the tribes. Now it's a specific command to the individuals. Write it down and come back to me. You don't make the ultimate decision, but in fact, you're the ones who are writing it down. And here, in the new place, in the new seat of the house of Hashem, in Shiloh, this is where it's going to be. They go and they do exactly as commanded. And now that the camp has essentially moved, it seems, to Shiloh, they come back to Shiloh. How long it takes, we don't know. It's not crucial. Exactly how they go and they do it, exactly who goes where, we're not told who they are. It's not important. It's that they go and they do it. And they come back, and what we then hear in the remaining chapter and a half, essentially, with respect to the Chalukah, we hear exactly what it is that they drew out. And now what happens is that Yahushua is applying the tribes to those locations. Yahushua then, in verse 10, does for them the Goral in Shiloh. And Yoshua then divides up the land and gives out the land based on what we're about to read to the different families, to the different remaining tribes as they are. And the first one to go is Binyamin. Binyamin sits in a very interesting location, which I think has obvious physical ramifications, but I think also maybe has um, spiritual ramifications as well. Let's see where they fall. Vayal Goral Matei Benevin Yamin The first it falls on Binyamin. Where does Binyamin sit? Binyamin sits between Yehuda and Yosef. It's no accident. It's true that Yehuda is to the south and the Bnei Yosef are to the north. And it's true that there is a center period peace that exists between the two. And it's no coincidence that again, what stands between Yehuda and Yosef is Binyamin. The Torah talks in, the, in Parashas Vayigash, the end of Miketz into Vayigash, how Binyamin stands between Yosef and Yehuda, and that it's Binyamin who brings Yosef and Yehuda together ultimately. Yehuda standing up for, for Binyamin, Yehuda taking um, the leadership role in the in in the moment to rescue Binyamin from the hands of who is ultimately Yosef, 
Yosef using Binyamin to draw the other tribes in. And now once again, Binyamin, in the physical sense, in the land of Eretz Yisrael, sits between these two tribes, and ultimately Yerushalayim will rest in Binyamin, and it will be the location and the locus and the nexus point where the tribes meet. The tribes always meet around Binyamin. They always meet around and in the areas will be will be focused, centered on the tribe of Binyamin and his location, which is where Yerushalayim is, where ultimately the Mikdash will be. Yehuda to the south, Yosef to the north. So it's no accident that Binyamin is the first to go, meaning next, right? After you have Yehuda going and then the Bnei Yosef going, oh, you get Binyamin. And it's no accident as to where it's located. It's located right between the two, in that in that strip of land in the center of the land of Israel, between the two, north of, Yo- of, of Yosef and the south of Yehuda. Beginning in verse Yud Beis, in verse 12, we begin to see the discussion and description of the borders. For simplicity's sake, keep in mind, essentially, that anything that would be the southern border of Ephraim will be the northern border of uh, of Binyamin, and anything that will be the northern border of Yehuda will be the southern border, the southern border of uh, Binyamin. So that there essentially would be, uh, in a sort of sense, the reverse, the reverse of what we've seen before, is what we'll get now. Okay, let's begin. Beginning in verse twelve. The border of the northern border of Binyamin begins at the Yardin. It will move to the north, the north of the shoulder of Jericho, Mitzafon. And it's going in a direction towards the Yam. It's clearly what Yam exactly, I'm not sure. But it's heading in a direction towards the Yam. And it ends up in an area called the Midbar of Beit Aven. This is again towards, this is the north. So the way it's sort of starting out, it's not a direct line, but it's sort of heading northwest towards, um, towards Yericho or just above Yericho. And then it's going in the direction of Luz and Beit El. And as it goes across now on the northern plain, it works as follows. It goes in the direction of Luz. Right, the word Vi'avar, we talked about where it's sort of splitting. Luz. Al-Ketav Luz and Negba, it's going to be south of Luz in the area near Beit El. Now it's heading south, or it's heading down, quote-unquote. It's essentially heading in an area towards the direction of Beit Charon Tachton, the southern Beit Charon. There's Beit Charon Elyon and Beit Charon Tachton. Beit Charon Elyon is in Ephraim. And Beit Charon Tachton is just to the south, which makes sense, is just to the south in Binyamin. This would be the center of the northern border of uh, of Binyamin. Betar Hagvul Vanasav Lipa Atiyam Negba Minahar Asher Apnei Beit Choron 
Negba, Vayito Totsav El Kiryat Baal Hikiryat Yarim, Ir Bnei Yehuda Zot Paat Yam. And now as the border heads towards the uh, heads towards the towards the west, it sort of heads southwest, heading southwest in verse fourteen towards the water. Right, so it's heading from that from the hills in Beit Charon, and it heads towards a place called Kiryat Baal, which is Kiryat Yarim. Kiryat Yarim itself, the text tells us, is a city within Yehuda. And if you want to see it on a map, on the map itself, it would be in the area just to the west of Beit Charon. Uh, sorry, to the south and slightly west of Beit Charon. That would be the western border. So what you have again is the northern border heading from the Yardane towards Beit Charon Tachton, and then you have the the western border heading from Beit Charon Tachton and working its way south towards Kiryat Arim. Kiryat Arim will actually belong to Yehuda. It's a city very well to the north in the areas of Yehuda, but in fact it is in Yehuda. Pas Negba. Miktsas Kiryasi Arim, and now the way the text is reading, we're going from a left to right, from west to east, for the southern border of Binyamin. Paat Negba Miktsa Kiryat Yamim, Kiryat Yarim, Vayatsa Hagvu Yama, Vayatsa El Mayan Meinaftoach. What Yam this is, is some Yam, but Rashi writes, amazingly enough, El Yam Echad, it goes towards a Yam, Veloyadati Eze Yamhu. He doesn't know which Yam this is in, uh, in this verse. Okay, it's a yam. And now we're weaving our way towards uh, towards Jerusalem. Or we're working our way through that area, through towards Jerusalem, towards Gei Ben Hino, right? The uh, the valley just outside of Jerusalem, in the, we're near. Uh, we're in the area around Emek Rifaim to the north. And now as it's working its way towards the Yavuz, towards Yerushalayim, um, we're moving towards uh, Enrogel. Enrogel on the map is an area just to the north of uh, Beit Lechem. Um, and in the areas uh, on the border, it's the southern, it's a northern border for Yehuda and a southern border for, um, for, Yeru- for Binyamin. In 17, now, as we're working our ways towards the north, again, as I mentioned to you, the border is here. The southern border um, is not a directly straight border. It heads in a certain direction. It heads in a slightly northern direction here. And it heads towards an area called Ein Shemesh. Ein Shemesh is uh, to the east of Yerushalayim. Now as we're working away from this area, we're working, it's going down the hills to a place called Evan Bohan Ben Ruven, which we saw before with respect to, uh, to Yehuda. That was an area we saw called Beit Arava before for Yehuda, and now it's called the Arava for Binyamin. So the southern border ends right on the edge where the Yamamelech and the Yarden um, essentially essentially meet. So the the southern border and the border of Binyamin 
is slightly confusing in the sense that it's working left to right as opposed to right to left, and it is uh, sort of, and it's certainly not a straight border. It does head in peaks and valleys north and south um, to to create the border uh, for Binyamin. And the Jordan will in fact be its eastern border. For all of the cities, itself, for all of you, uh, for all of, uh, sorry, for all of Binyamin, the borders do get confusing, but again, it is squeezed in the territorial area between, um, between, uh, Yehuda and Ephraim. And now we'll get the list of cities. So, all the cities of Binyamin, Yericho, Beschagla, Ve'emek, Kitsitz, right? We have, uh, Yericho, and we have, uh, we have all the famous cities, Beis Arava, Utsamarayim, Beis El, Twelve cities and their courts and their surrounding areas. Givon, the Haramaveros. Givon will be within Binyamin. The Hamitzbe, the Hakfira, the Hamotza, the Rekem, the Yirpeel, the Sar Allah, the Tzela Haelef, Vayevusihi Yerushalayim. Give us Kiryas. And then in the last verse, it mentions give us kiryas. And then, of course, Yerushalayim, as we mentioned, is in Binyamin. There is obviously the idea that um, Yehuda arises just to that area and is in fact connected to the city of Yerushalayim. But it's actually it says that the city of Yushalayim belongs um, in uh, in Binyamin, and now we get is the tribe of Binyamin Lemishpachosam to for its families and its uh, gvulos in that specific region. With that ends the the discussion of Binyamin, and now what you've already accomplished is that you have all the children of Rachel have their territory, and only Yehuda has its territory uh, with respect to the children of Leah. And now we'll get in the last in this last parak of this discussion, in verse in Parak Test in chapter nineteen, tomorrow's Shear, tomorrow's parak, we'll get the remaining borders. Just one parenthetical note. If it is confusing to follow through with the borders, it's understandable. Um, it's clear that the mentioning of all the cities is significant for us by virtue that it's in the Navi, it is written in the Vu, it is Ruach HaKodesh, it is holy it is significant for us to know exactly why all the cities and why it is. Uh, certainly we don't know all the cities. It's beyond perhaps our, our, our immediate grasp as to why all these things are there. At the same time, by virtue of the fact that no map has physically descended that we know of from the time of Yehoshua to our current day, other than the discussions here, it is the commentaries, the Mepharshim, who are showing us the way through, uh, through these chapters. The commentaries differ, and they disagree with respect to how the gvulos, the borders, and the boundaries are in fact to be understood, and with respect to what cities we're talking about, are they the same cities when they're mentioned twice, are they different, are they sister cities, do they exist in the same region, are they in other areas? And it's somewhat confusing, and it's somewhat difficult to understand. At the same time, we must realize that it's davakados, that it's a holy work, and that reading through it and trying our best to understand it and working on to understand it in a way that we do have a grasp and working with the maps that are given to us. And it's something that we can deal with and something we can handle. 
Further, you have to keep in mind that the mention of all these cities is a holy is a holy matter with respect to the notion that a Kaddish Baruch Hu promised those cities even though we didn't build them. And he promised us locations to live in places for the Jewish people to exist and to settle, even though it was that these are the, not cities that they in fact built. So if nothing else, by reading through the ver- different verses and seeing them listed and reading them out loud, we have to keep that in mind, that this is part of what a Kodesh Baruch Hu promised us, even though we may not know exactly where every city is located. And even further, it's important to note that mixed within the discussion of these cities are other very important details and other important little stories um, and little vignettes, the term we like to use, with respect to what's going on amongst the nation, within the nation, within the people. And those are significant. We must pull out the lessons from them. We continue tomorrow with Perek Yud Test.